Dear congregation, I invite you to turn in God's holy word to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, Jesus is attending the Jews' Feast of the Tabernacles. And um, at the end of uh, that period of feasting, on that last day, we pick up our reading on verse 37. And then we'll turn to Acts chapter 2 and the account of the, on the day of Pentecost. And, uh, and we'll see how those two tie together. Our text will come primarily from the first three verses that we read, John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look. For no prophet has arisen out of Galilee, and everyone went to his own house. Let's turn then to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we'll read the first six verses. And then I'd like to just read a couple verses at the end as well, where Peter calls unto them. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And I'd like to just read uh, verse 38 and 39 after they come to Peter after his sermon and are pricked in their heart, asking, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
In verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. As far the reading of God's precious and infallible word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we gather together today, we have the privilege of celebrating the ongoing redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who from the right hand of God pours out his Holy Spirit upon the whole world, beginning in Acts 2 in Jerusalem. And this work began then uh, with the miraculous power on the 50th day after his resurrection, which is why Throughout church history, it's been known as the day of Pentecost, the 50th day. In Acts 20, we also recognize that Paul's desire was to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost, to to bring this glorious gospel of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be a great opportunity to be a witness of that glorious gospel of our ascended King, who's now seated at the right hand of God, And we have the great encouragement to bring this gospel even today, knowing the power of the Holy Spirit that was displayed on Pentecost, whereby God gave to weak and sinful men words to speak in many languages, while the Holy Spirit's power even softened the hardest hearts, the most presumptive hearts, and murderous hearts to receive that glorious gospel that was preached unto them. That's my desire even this morning as we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring that gospel. And I would like to do so from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John chapter 7 where Jesus is also at a feast. Not the Feast of Pentecost but the Feast of Tabernacles where he promised the very truth in the gospel of Pentecost before it even took place. Let's read that again from John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. On that last day, that great day of the feast, that is the Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this spoke He spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in Him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's look at this with with the theme, Pentecost and Jesus' Gospel Invitation. And we'll see, first of all, then, Jesus' invitation, but also Jesus' promise, secondly. Let's first look at Jesus' invitation. And as, as we consider what his invitation included, let's first look at the, at, the, at the time that Jesus gave this invitation. We recognize it was on the last day of that great day of the feast. Uh, this was the Feast of Tabernacles, as I mentioned, uh, that we find earlier in this chapter. And the Feast of Tabernacles, we remember that the Lord had commanded in Leviticus 23 that they were called to keep this feast. And, and they were to remember 
God's provision for them in this feast. As, as their fathers wandered through the wilderness, then God provided for them. And they would come to this feast and leave their homes and dwell in tabernacles or booths that would remember how God had provided for them physically and spiritually, even through the wilderness, bringing them to the promised land. The Feast of the Tabernacles is also referred to the Feast of the Ingathering. Since during uh, this feast, the Israelites gave thanks for the past harvest season and all of God's faithfulness in providing for them and all of the goodness of God in giving rain and a harvest. And the first day and the eighth day of the feast, uh, we recognize that they had a solemn assembly. And, and this showed that there was two special days, especially uh, giving really a, a messianic message. And, this, and, and, and all of this pointed to the salvation and the rest that would come through the Lord Jesus Christ and the promise of His Holy Spirit being poured out after He was glorified. We think of that prophecy already in Isaiah 44, that he will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods out of the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And so just imagine if you went to this feast, the Feast of the Tabernacles, and you would, you would hear, you would hear many things from God's word, but you would also imagine if you were to walk around this feast, of all of the tabernacles or the booths or, or what we might call camping tents. It would be like a huge campground. And you would go and hear from tent after tent after tent, fathers telling their children of how God had brought them through the wilderness and provided them with manna and water, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He gave them victory over enemies. He gave them the law. He provided them with so many things. He even provided once when they were thirsty. He, he, he called Moses to strike a rock and, and water flowed out of it. God is the one who provides even for sinful and complaining people. The Israelites were, were not only looking to the past, they were looking to God's current provisions and, and they were longing for God's future provisions for His Spirit to be fully poured out. And so they would hear their, their fathers and, and the priest explaining these things. But we also recognize that they were seeing many things at this feast. Of course, in, in, the, in the Old Testament feast, there was a lot of uh, figurative language and, and it communicated through temple rituals. And, and so at this feast, you would see the, the priest going to the pool of Siloam and drawing out fresh, clean, life-giving water that boiled up into this pool that was fed by a spring. And, and he would draw that water out in that golden uh, pitcher and, and then bring it back to the temple through the water gate, timing the arrival of it just right as the offerings were placed on the altar and he would pour it out upon them through this funnel. Immediately the people would be praising God and chanting the words, I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity from Psalm 118. And here on this last day of the feast, after all of the rituals and all of the information and all of the education, they come to the end 
And as there's silence, suddenly and in shockingly, the Lord Jesus Christ, the same Messiah they were praying for, the same Messiah they were praising, the one to come, He stands up in their midst and He cries out. And He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me. Can you imagine being in the temple when Jesus said that? I'm sure you could have heard a pin drop. The Jews heard this about 2,000 years ago. And you're still hearing it today as it caused also a pin drop even among us. It's It's a beautiful invitation. It's a beautiful invitation. Let's look more closely at who's being invited here. Our text says, anyone. If anyone thirsts, it could be a boy or a girl, it could be someone who's young or old, it could be someone who's black or white or rich or poor, even the greatest of sinners, anyone. No qualifications. Jesus says, anyone. Anyone. Salvation is offered even to you through Jesus' words here. If anyone thirsts. And yet, we need to recognize, even as Jesus does here, if anyone thirsts, that this invitation will not mean anything if you're not thirsty. Christ is is really offering life-giving water to to those who are thirsty. Imagine, children, if you're playing outside in this nice warm weather that we've been having in this last week, and all of a sudden you've been playing outside for an hour or two, and and, and you realize just how thirsty you are, and, and, you, and you run to the house to get a drink of water. Now, that water has been there all of the time, hadn't it? It's been there the whole day. It's probably sitting in your fridge nice and cold, and, and all you have to do is, is, is receive it and go get it, as it were. But you're not going to do that unless you are thirsty. And even when you're really thirsty... You recognize just how much you need it. And and as you come closer to the refrigerator and you're pouring the water, you can almost taste it before it even enters your body. And and as you do so, your your cells are being renewed by this life-giving water and and, and your muscles feel better and soon you're you're renewed in strength. Next to oxygen, water is the most essential element for our physical nourishment. We can't live without it. And we recognize that not only are we called to be physically thirsty, and we understand that, but but the question comes to us today is, are we thirsty like that spiritually? Have, Have we had a spiritual hunger and thirst to be able to come together to hear the Word of God on this day of Pentecost, pleading for the Holy Spirit, saying, Lord, pour out Your Spirit upon us. We are a dry and a thirsty land. A dry and a thirsty people. Oh, Lord, give us that life-giving water that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. A water that will cause us to never thirst again. Well, what what does it really look like then to be physical or spiritually thirsty? I think the psalmist in Psalm 42, which we sang of in Psalter 114, 
We recognize how the psalmist is thirsting after God as a deer is panting for the water brooks. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, he says, for the living God. Really, that, that being thirsty there is to have that earnest desire. Earnest desire. Physically thirsty, you have an earnest desire for water. But to be spiritually thirsty, you recognize that you have a spiritual deficiency and, to, and, and you desire this earnest communion with God that it would be restored and that it would be live and well. Thirsting after God really, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't go along with our fallen nature. It actually goes against it. And so it's really by the grace of God that we do become these thirsty sinners, thirsting after God, having a conviction in our soul over sin and desiring a pardon for all of these sins, having, having our consciences tormented by what sin has caused our Lord and, and to have a desire to have peace, a peace of conscience from our sin and the guilt of it. It's a desire to have restored fellowship with God that's now broken because of our sin and to have a life with Him and in Him day by day. That's what a, a, a thirsty sinner has. He doesn't look within himself and find, oh, I'm going to make myself thirsty now. He doesn't look inside himself for that salvation or even that life-giving water. But he looks outside of himself knowing that in himself all he can do is is be thirsty. He looks outside to the Lord Jesus Christ who fills him by his Holy Spirit with the fullness of the life-giving water that's found in Jesus Christ. Are, are you thirsting after him? Or, or are, are you satisfied maybe with yourself and maybe with the idols that you have and all that the world has to offer? Are you satisfied with those things? Are they quenching your thirst? Everyone's thirsty. Thirsting after something, longing and desiring after something. Well, what are you thirsting and longing and desiring after? Maybe it's just about trying to find your satisfaction in, in, in good things even, like our church attendance or our sound doctrine or our good works or, or whatever they would be and, and all of our own ambitions and we say, well, look at me. Look what I've done. Look, what, look who I am. Look how good of a Christian I am. Uh, if we're satisfied even with those outward things and we, we don't get to the heart of it, to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're satisfied with a religion and a religiosity. A religion doesn't get us to heaven, but rather the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done and by His Holy Spirit. That's what brings us into a right relationship with Him. And He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. He says this on the last day of that great day of the feast. And, and as we have remembered the redemptive work of Christ in this past year from His coming in Bethlehem in his humble birth, even to his ascension and session at the right hand of God. And now today as he pours out his Holy Spirit, we come to the end of the feast 
cycle, as it were, in our congregation. And I ask you, dear congregation, has, has it all been about what you get from it and, and all of the warm and fuzzy feelings you get from all of the feast days? Or is it the Christ of the feast days, the one who is full of life and gives us full life through his work? Are you at the end of it all, thirsting after him, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, which comes alone from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well then, hear his invitation to you today. A beautiful invitation, isn't it? An invitation to, to come and to drink. There's a place to go. Christ is offering living water for thirsty sinners. He's offering it to you and to me. His arms are open wide to those who would flee unto him, who would come to him, and those who come to him, will, he will in no wise cast out. That's the invitation. That's the invitation that Jesus gives because he alone can give it. He alone has suffered and died. He alone has paid the great cost for him to give that invitation to you and to me to come to him and drink. You can see, can't you, on Gethsemane, there Christ is under the wrath of God and the sweat is being pressed out of him. He's becoming thirsty. His sweat even becomes like great drops of blood. You see him as the crown of thorns were placed upon his head. As the whip snaps across his back as the nails pierce his hands and his feet, as the moisture is pressed out of his body, there on the cross he cried, I thirst. Physically thirsty, but also spiritually thirsty as he desired that communion again with his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's all pressed out of him. He became physically thirsty. He became spiritually thirsty so that you and I could come to Him and drink. Drink. What does it mean to come to Him? We hear that so often. We hear that in so many of His gospel promises. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, come to me who are thirsty. Come. He says, come. What does that mean? It means to believe in Him, to trust in Him for all your salvation, to come as you are, to come with your thirsting, to come with your burdens, to come with your sins, to come with your inability, and cast yourself 100%, not 99%, 100% on the Lord Jesus Christ is to surrender to him. Acts chapter 2. Peter says to those whom he preached the glorious gospel, when they come to him and they're pricked in their hearts, he says, repent and be baptized. And, and, and 
coming to Jesus is to leave everything else behind and to come to Him and put all of your trust in Him. It's, it's repentance and faith. Just as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. The problem is, for us so often, we're too proud to come to Him. We're too satisfied with our own worthiness. We're not truly thirsty. We're not even burdened and heavy laden. But here, Jesus says, come. Come to me. Are you thirsting after him? Will you go to him, flee to him, even today? And to drink from him. What does it look like to drink spiritually? What Jesus obviously is using an illustration here that's common throughout history or throughout Scripture. To, to, drink, to drink something is to receive it and to receive it by faith. And so, so it's really an illustration that Jesus is using here in one word, drink. <clears throat> There's an example, if you go to the waterfall, if you go to the Niagara Falls and you, you see this for the first time, especially you, you, you come to it and all of your senses are in tune to it and you're just like, wow, I just want to stand here and I want to drink it in. I don't think any one of you would say that and expect to drink all of the water that comes over the Niagara. That would be absurd. But what we mean by that is we want to drink in the beauty of it. We want to drink in the awesomeness of it, the greatness of it, the power of it. We just want to stand here and take it all in. Isaiah uses that kind of language also in Isaiah 55. He says, Everyone, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why, why do you spend all of this money for that which is not bread and spend your wages on that which does not satisfy? Listen to me, he says. Eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear to me and hear and your soul shall live. And What he's saying is here, drink it all in by listening, by hearing, by, by, by seeing what Christ has done for a sinner like you. Just, just feast on Him. You see, coming to Jesus is... is and drinking from Him is, is to believe in Him and to receive from Him everything that your soul needs for salvation, for eternal life. That's what it means to drink from Jesus. I, 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 keep, I keep pointing it out to you that Christ is, is inviting us to come and to, to participate in that and to, to drink from Him even today. And indeed, it is an invitation. But I need to be absolutely honest with you that in the Bible, it's more than an invitation. Your parents might invite you to come to the dinner, but, but what they're doing is they're commanding you, come come to the dinner table. It's dinner time, supper time, whatever it would be. Are we... following Jesus' command here. These are words of command. And they, they come as an invitation from a, a loving Father. And Christ is drawing us by this invitation. 
Yet we need to remember that there are commands that have consequences. Maybe, maybe uh, you're thinking, I, I, I don't know about me. I sometimes feel so thirsty. I have these desires. I, I have these desires for the Lord and to grow in Him and to have a better relationship with Him and to have my sins forgiven and to have a peace that passes all understanding. Yes, Pastor, I desire that. But maybe I'm just not thirsty enough or maybe you, you qualify it with all kinds of good language here. Well, are you simply crying out to God? Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. All I need is Christ, and, and yet He seems so far from me. Well, well, don't be discouraged, but rather even cause that to make you cling to Jesus even more and cling to His promises. Cling even like Jacob did, saying, I, Lord, I will not let you go except you bless me. Jesus Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our slowness to believe. You think of the rest of this chapter. They have all kinds of questions and all kinds of excuses that they can't come to the Lord Jesus. Doesn't he not come out of... Isn't he supposed to come out of Bethlehem? Who is this man who now comes out of Galilee, out of Nazareth? Who does he think he is saying he is the Messiah? They have all kinds of qualifications and everyone goes to their own house. Will you also go to your own house? Because maybe you don't think that Jesus is a, is a Savior for you. Hear His voice today. If anyone thirsts, it doesn't say how thirsty you need to be. Do you have a desire to be right with God? To be saved from your sins? Well, cast yourself on the Lord Jesus Christ even today. Cling to Him. Cling to His promises. Because know that the grand promise is yet to come. We see that in our second point. Jesus' promise for all those who, who come to him and drink from him. He goes on in the text to say, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. A phrase here, he who believes in me. You can quite simply say this is what we've been talking about. The act of coming to Christ and drinking from the wells of salvation, from Christ himself. But then we have these words. It's a beautiful, a beautiful picture again. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, what does this promise mean? Remember that this feast, the Feast of the Tabernacles, was being celebrated and it was pointing to the coming of the Messiah and the Holy Spirit being poured out. And so Jesus is, is revealing himself as this Messiah. And he sums up all the Old Testament prophecies, even as we quoted from Isaiah 44 already, and he brings them into focus. And that's what we also see is in verse 39, when he explains, this spoke he concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so this promise, very clearly, is that believers will receive the Holy Spirit after Jesus is glorified on the day of Pentecost until the very day that Christ returns again on the clouds of heaven. 
That's what we find in Acts chapter 2 as well. When Peter is, is preaching there and they, they ask him, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent and believe, uh, repent and be baptized. And he get, attaches this promise, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, even as the many as the Lord our God will call. And so what's happening here is that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given in a full measure. A full measure. Not only to the Jews, but even to the ends of the earth. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit was not in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. We know that. He moved on the waters. David prayed, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Certainly the Holy Spirit was 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 involved in 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 the in the Old Testament and 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 in the Godhead from all eternity, one of the triune persons in the one essence of who we call God. But after Pentecost, he's poured out in full to apply this salvation that Jesus Christ has promised and fulfilled unto us. And so believers are given this Holy Spirit who who dwells in them and causes water to spring up within them. If we go back and we think about the Feast of the Tabernacles and how it pointed to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, even in its rituals. Remember I had talked to you about how the priest would go with the golden picture to the pool of Siloam. He would dip that water in, bring it in, pour it upon the offering. Well, we have, this, we have that happening also in, um, in this, this sense, also in the, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what a, what a blessing it was in this picture in the Old Testament. Because in this picture, we recognize that they were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on a mountain, and, and, and being on a mountain was good to protect them and everything else, but it also led to other problems. You didn't have a fresh water supply. And so there was a Gion Spring outside of Jerusalem near the Kidron Valley, and this Gion Spring would... would pr- Push water up into the pool of Siloam inside of Jerusalem. It came through conduits that, that would be channeled up into Jerusalem. And this, this stream would come up and boil up in the pool of Siloam, giving life-giving water to the city. They would have health and nourishment and protection through this water. And as the enemies would besiege the city of Jerusalem... They were protected from the enemies. And that's reflected in Psalm 46 especially. In Psalm 46 we read that there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. That that was that river in in Jerusalem that came up and gave them life-giving water. But today, as we recognize, spiritually speaking, that picture being fulfilled in the Holy Spirit, boiling up within us, living within us, producing within us a desire and a growing desire to have a right relationship with God as He shows us our sins and shows us the fullness and the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He preserves us. That's what it looks like in the, in the life of a believer. It addresses our spiritual needs, not necessarily our physical needs. And as this life-giving water flows up within us and nourishes us, and the Holy Spirit uses His Word, He uses the sacraments to give us assurance and salvation and, and eternal hope in our life. He helps us to fight against sin and Satan and all of his temptations. He gives us a, a joy in the Lord and a communion with him. It shows us, as we find in Romans chapter 8, that, that indeed we are adopted children of God, sons and daughters of God, that we might have that assurance that we belong to him and that comfort and that peace that we will never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. We can't live without the Holy Spirit. He applies what Christ has done and He sustains us by His finished work. But He doesn't just stop there. He doesn't stop there. The Holy Spirit not only lives and dwells in the hearts and the lives of, of his people, but he causes these rivers of living water to spring up and multiply as they flow from us, as they flow out of our innermost being. What is that, what is that referring to? Well, first of all, if you think about a river, a river is, is a source of fresh water. It's, it's indicating that that water is flowing and it's, 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 it's good water. If water gathers in pools and, and it's not fed by fresh water, that water becomes stale and stinky and poisonous. But these rivers are fresh, fresh, fresh water, life-giving water. And we also recognize that this word is in the plural, rivers. It will flow rivers of living water. And that water is springing up within us by the power of the Holy Spirit, running out in every direction from us. Therefore, this, these rivers are evident in our homes. They're evident in our jobs and our callings. And they're evident in our church life. And they're evident in witnessing to our neighbors of, of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we drink of Christ by faith. In other words, we will also pour Him out in faith. His Holy Spirit doesn't just leave that water to pool in us. But no, He gives us that life-giving water to also share with others. Do you see Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you drink from Jesus? And then I ask you, if you have been with Jesus, drinking from Jesus and living from Jesus, people ought to be able to see something of Christ in all of your conversation, all of your actions. Do people see that? Uh, this could be illustrated in many ways, but, but let's just think about the river that flows right off our tongue the most powerful river 
possibly of our whole existence. James even says it's the hardest member of the body to tame. Our words reveal what lies in our hearts every day. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 12, How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in our heart will come out of our mouth. Are we hearing Christ-like conversation? Coming out of our mouth. Do others hear it? Does your family see a heartfelt love for Him? A desire to serve Him through the very tongue of your mouth? Or do they see a murderer, a liar, one who loves contention? Oh, dear friend, our tongue is a window into our soul. And there's a fountain that shows exactly what's in our heart that spills right out of our mouth. I'm not saying all of our words will be perfect by any means, but are we at constant war with our flesh, even our tongue? Is it our desire to to bridle our tongue and to use our tongue for good rather than for evil? Is it our desire to witness the truth to others? We might be a tree of life, savor and life unto life. Is a spirit bearing witness with our spirit indeed that we are children of God and, and to our shame yet the world looks at our conversation and our tongue? as children of men. We can see in Scripture two clear differences between Peter and Judas, can't we? Peter, he often used his tongue and it got him in a lot of trouble. Especially when he denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. And yet there's a clear difference between Peter and Judas We can identify both with Peter and Judas, I'm assuming. Denying our Lord Jesus Christ and Judas even even selling the Lord Jesus Christ with his tongue and his betrayal. But Peter, in the abuse of his tongue, he went out and he wept bitterly. Judas, what did he do? He despaired within himself and went and hung himself. There's rivers that are flowing in our life. Do, do we, does it grieve us that, that those rivers aren't nearly evident enough in our life? Does it grieve us that we're on this race of faith in this life? And we are not the witness that God has called us to be that we are not walking in the Spirit, that we are not living in the Spirit, that we are not dependent on the Spirit every single moment and every single decision and every single thing in our life. And then today we need to drink again. We need to hear this invitation from Christ again. 
come to me and drink. And when you do so, that will produce life within you and, and it will flow out even to others. Can you imagine? As the gospel set before us today in life-giving water, could you imagine this scenario where you were a marathon runner and you were going to run the entire marathon and you were going to finish it and you were going to try to finish it even in first place and you're running and you know what happens on those marathons and those races? People are holding out the water so that you can just take it and drink it and, 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 and keep going so you don't have to stop at all. And you'd come to these water stops and you'd say, no, I have no need for that water. I have no need for that water. I don't need it. I can keep going. I can keep going. And pretty quick, you know what will happen, don't you? A person will collapse in exhaustion. They need that water. They need that water. You'd say it would be absurd for him to say he doesn't need that water. Well, God is bringing the gospel even close to us today. So close to us. It's like a water stop here on the day of Pentecost where we know the fullness of his Holy Spirit. He gives us a water stop and Jesus says, come unto me and drink. He's holding it out at this water stop and you're running the race of life. Can you live, can you die without taking a drink today? Or you say, no, I have no need. And you shield yourself from this life-giving water. No need for life-giving water. No need for Jesus. No need for the gospel. Well, that's absolutely absurd. Every one of us, that is our most essential need. Are you thirsting after Jesus Christ? If you are, come even today. Come today. The, salvation, the wells of salvation will never run dry. Cling to Jesus. Cling to Him in His promises. Know that He has a full and free salvation. And that you need Him even at this very moment. Believers, when we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and we live by the Holy Spirit, we will be filled with it and rivers will flow from it. But if we don't drink daily, then the best we'll see is only a trickle flowing from our innermost being and maybe even pools of water showing their stale, stinky existence within ourselves. Oh, we've heard the gospel invitation together today. No matter who we are, he says, everyone, I urge you to hearken to this invitation, to this command of Christ. If anyone thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this promise, says Peter, is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God is calling you heard his call today. Oh, may his Holy Spirit make that call effectual in your heart, in your life, to his glory. Amen. Let's pray.
Oh Lord Jesus, we give thanks for your glorious gospel and the gospel invitation that you have given to us even today as we hear it some 2,000 years later. And oh Lord, we, we know that today that your Holy Spirit has been given. And so Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit as we drink deeply from those wells of salvation and that, that our lives would be radically changed and that from our lives would flow rivers of living water to the glory and honor of your grace. Lord, may your Pentecost blessings be upon us today. And may we receive in fullness your Spirit in us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.